Much of what we've been able to achieve through the Candid Frame has been a result of your kindness and support. You have been a regular listener, and you've helped to spread the word. And it was through your generous contributions that we were able to create the Candid Frame app and make it available to everyone for free. You can continue to support the work we do here by contributing as little as $2 a month to our Patreon campaign. You not only help to meet our costs of production, but provide us the means to improve the quality of the show and do so much more. Contribute today by visiting patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame. This is Ibadi NX, and this is The Candid Frame. Some people are led to a life behind the camera because they love making photographs. The challenge becomes, how do you create a lifestyle to support that passion? Blake Jorgensen's pursuit was a little different. He wanted a life of outdoor adventure, whether it was atop a mountain bike or a pair of skis. Photography became the means by which he did this, which has resulted in a career as a professional adventure and lifestyle photographer. His story is one that is still evolving, but which seems rooted in a clear vision of the kind of life he wants to lead. All right. Well, Blake, welcome to the Candid Frame. I'm, I'm really, uh, it's a pleasure to, to, to meet you and have a chance to talk with you. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You, you do you do some amazing work, and, and you have a really interesting story. But I, I, I thought I'd begin with what eventually led you to move to Whistler, because that's your home base now. And I, from what I read, it wasn't a career in photography that sort of led you there. So what was the allure of that of that part of the country, and, and wh- why make the move there? Uh, I, I was living in downtown Toronto with my mom when I was a teenager in these tiny cramped little apartments. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I kind of got a taste of the outdoors and the mountains and I just knew instantaneously that I wanted to experience the mountains and just experience that space and freedom. And I was really into art and painting, um, when I was a teenager and, Pretty much as soon as I came to Whistler, I, I switched to photography because I just wanted to be outside all the time. So I just, I just kind of switched from being inside and painting all the time to being outside all the time. I didn't really have any plans of being a professional photographer. It just kind of evolved from, from the first bunch of years of just being madly in love with the mountains and being even more madly or equally in love with, with taking photos of the things that I was seeing and experiencing. Yeah, I've talked to some teenagers as of like 17 and 18 years old, and you, you ask them, well, what do you want to do? And, and the most common answer is, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. But it seems like you were really clear on what you wanted, maybe not in terms of your career, but in terms of, I guess, the life experiences that you wanted. Is that, is it, is sort of, is that an accurate way of describing where you were at the time? Yeah, I think, uh, I think it's kind of one of those examples is maybe, maybe knowing what you don't want is maybe sometimes just as or more important than knowing what you do want. And I, I knew that when I came to Whistler, what I, what I didn't want was a career. 
ironically, I just wanted to, to be free and, and, um, have adventures and pretty much just be a ski bum and live off $5 a week. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, it's, it's ironic because my, my mom is very academic and Mm -hmm. she was, you know, I think I had an aversion to, to school and academics and, you know, I think the the real ironic part after all these years is is uh, I'm the one with the career, and she's the one that lives in Whistler Village and goes skiing every day. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was the difficult part of being able to create that and sort of sustain that, so that you could do it, and rather than having to, you know, fall back on getting a nine to five, for example? I think the hardest part was just sort of. Um, trying to figure out if there if there was a career here, if there was something. I, I think when I started the a lot of the industry and a lot of the scene that that's developed was just kind of getting started. So there wasn't really much example. You know, even just being in a, in the era of, of film and no internet and no digital and no cell phones. It was it was definitely a little bit more of a leap of faith thinking that you could make something happen when there wasn't really too much example out there yet. So I think that this whole industry has kind of grown grown with me, which has been pretty cool. So Whistler was a sort of a destination for people who wanted that, that sense of adventure, uh, but it wasn't necessarily sort of a focal point for photographers. Would that be fair to say? Um, it, was, it was very infantile. I think that it was just starting, and there was a couple older photographers that were... Uh, that were there and were enough to kind of set of an example that I was like, okay, I think there's something possible here. Mm-hmm. Um, don't really quite know what that is yet, but I think that I I shot photos for probably about five years before um, I, I it popped in my head. I was like, okay, I think I think that this is maybe what I want to do for a living. So, was there a sort of a pivotal moment when 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 you the viability of that really sort of crystallized for you, rather than it just being, well, I'm out here doing what I love to do and I'm getting to document it with a camera, but now there's a possibility that I could actually maybe not necessarily earn you know, earn money from it, but really allow the camera to be the means by which I can sustain this. Yeah, I think there's two instances that come to mind, and one was the very first time that I got a photo published uh, in a ski magazine. I think it was Powder Magazine, and I remember sending 20 slides and a, a scrap people, piece of paper with my name and say, please print a photo. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never really heard anything from them, and then one day I went to the grocery store and picked up the magazine, and, the, and there it was. There was one of my photos in there, and... That was a, a game-changing moment because I just the the entire concept of getting published and being able to reach a huge audience and sort of express yourself of what you what you did and you know what you did with your with your friends out skiing or adventuring. Um, you know that was that was a huge game changer back in the day when it was really hard to. You know, there's a big there's a big hurdle to, to get published. You know, now with the internet and Instagram, you can self-publish stuff. But when I first started, it was someone else had to publish it. So mm-hmm. it was the the excitement of reaching people and knowing that your your photo kind of got out in the world. You know, that was that was a, that was a big changer that first time getting published. And then I think the second thing is I went on a trip 
the first time I, I kind of got hired to do like a sort of an international shoot. I got to go to Turkey and the whole experience was so positive and so amazing that I was like, okay, I think this is, this is what I want to do. I think it's, it's possible to wrap my brain around it now. <laughs> so what did you have to, what were the, some of the uh, skills that you had to learn in terms of, you know, the, the gap between you actually making the photographs and them finding their way into print? How did you, what did you have to learn in order to negotiate the editorial world? You know, you just mentioned you got this great gig, but there's a big gap between those two. Um, yeah, I mean, for the, you know, for the first while I had the, the, I think the photo, the photos came quite natural for me and the biggest struggles were just sort of communication and trying to figure out how to run a business and trying to, trying to just figure out how to make it happen. And I think developing relationships with, with athletes and developing relationships with the companies and sponsors that supported them kind of helped steer the ship. I think that that's really the equation that I would say, looking back, that that helped out the most. And how is it different different now? Now you're established name, but you know, is it, I'm, I'm sure you get a lot of people who approach you, young photographers who are aspiring to do much of the kind of work that you're doing. How how has that whole world changed now? I don't think it's really changed uh, that much in terms of the approach of how to make it happen because that's usually the number one question that younger photographers or expiring photographers ask is, you know, how do I make this happen and how do I make it happen right now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it's, it's, this, it's the same thing. It's, it's uh, maintaining your passion and relationship building and just kind of wrap your head around the fact that everything's going to take way longer than you think it is and to be super patient and to not give up because um, it gets a little bit better every year, but it's it's a very slow, flat incline, I think. <laughs> so you, you mentioned the, the athletes that you, that you, that you photograph um, and those relationships are as important as, you know, the editors that you may work with or the clients that you may work with. Tell us about the importance of that and and how and what role they played early in your career and, and, and how they play a role in, in your career now. Uh, yeah, I mean, they play an incredibly important role because I've always looked at it as you're, as you're creating together. You know, they, they are expressing themselves with, um, you know, their their uh, athletic skill and expressing their identity as well. And so you're kind of working together to create images that I think express these moments that that other people that like to participate in these sports can relate to. Mm -hmm. So that it's almost like a three-way relationship. It's, it's the relationship with you and the, the person you're shooting and the better of a relationship that is, the better uh, images you'll be able to create. You know, the better you can communicate with each other and kind of be in each other's heads of of what the shot is and what you're trying to do, and maybe even thinking creatively in the future of like what's what's kind of considered cutting edge or what's new ideas and how to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. Um, and I think that being on the forefront of that is what causes people to want to watch the imagery the most that are, that are avidly in interested in these, 
these sports and these activities. How did you approach people who you may not have made, made known, may not have known personally, but who you thought, well, I really want to work with this person. Were, you know, how how do you, did you reach out to people, especially people who might have already had, you know, a reputation or uh, or have a name for themselves? You know, I think that I was always really shy and a really poor communicator, so I was never the best example. For for reaching out, I think that I was lucky enough to sort of be in a place like Whistler, where I could I could kind of meet people, and sort of create a demand that way. But I would I would definitely the number one thing that I do say after all these years is that it's, it's definitely worth reaching out to people and showing them that you want to create something with them and and want to shoot photos with them, and you you'd be surprised of what what people will say. You know. So it's I I, I, would, I would recommend to get over those fears and 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 make the effort to reach out to people. Yeah, I mean, because you're into mountain biking and just skiing, and you're you're photographing people that are really good at at, at, at those things. In in some cases, people do it way better than you, right? Has that required you, even though you're photographing them, for you to sort of up your game with respect to those, or is or, or no? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that kind of the coolest part about doing this stuff is you, you are participating in these sports. You're kind of actively involved, you know, especially skiing You're you're out skiing around on the slopes and, and having this great day or experience or adventure with these people. And you're just trying to document and create with it. It's, it's different than sort of being on the sidelines. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's the dynamic. And, and then, you know, you're, you're expressing yourself as a, as somewhat of an expert in these sports. So the only way to be an expert is to kind of participate a lot and be immersed in it. And, you know, that's how you know maybe what to do next or come up with newer ideas of how to represent or showcase these sports or activities or adventures. Uh, can you walk us through what 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 it's like? Because I've I've seen some of the uh, behind the scenes videos of you sort of at work and you're collaborating with with these people, but it's not like you're working within a studio where you have complete control of the environment. Um, how much research is involved? How much sort of prep time in terms of visualizing what you want, or is is a lot of it sort of improvisational once you're out there? I think a lot of it is just, you know, your your experience, um, a- a- analyzing what what you're doing and analyzing the weather a lot, um, and sort of coming up with sort of a A, B, and C plan that is based on the variables that you can't control, which is mostly weather. Um, so just always having a bag of tricks of knowing what what you're going to be able to do if, depending on what hand you get dealt. And I think that that's having those skill sets is the most important thing because you'll always be able to to do something and you'll always be able to persevere. And a lot of times, you know, your your best shots come from major curveballs and uh, thinking outside the box and, and being forced to do something that you didn't quite expect. And that sort of combined with just... Um, knowing how things are going to unfold and sort of creating your, your own luck by being prepared. Can you give me a, an example of one of those times where you got thrown a curveball and you got something that you had anticipated that would, may have been even better than you had initially gone on for? Yeah, I just, you know, just before this interview, I did uh, one for Tourism Whistler and they wanted to post this 
really iconic shot of a bunch of skiers standing on the bridge um, at the bottom of the ski hill at the end of the day. And it's sort of like this blue dusk light and it's snowing really hard and it's backlit with flashes and stuff like that. And, you know, it's people always ask, like, how did you get that timing? It's like so impossible to plan something like that. And, and you know, the answer is, you know, we were actually across the street indoors shooting indoors because it was pouring rain and you know someone noticed that it that the the snow or the rain had turned to snow and because we were there shooting with the skiers and the products and the lights um we were able to just run outside and on the fly just sort of create this image that i've never been able to reduplicate um so it's it kind of fits with this expression that I've heard lots and it's be there. Don't not be there. <laughs> <laughs> so when you're, we, we talked about skiing, we talked about mountain biking. How does it sort of, you know, you when, you know, the skiing obviously is sort of a seasonal thing and, and mountain biking to some extent. So when you're thinking about planning your year in terms of what you're going to do, the kind of work that you're going to do, how do you think, how do you consider it in terms of, uh, you know, from, from the business side of it? It's it's kind of all over the place, but uh, I think for the most part, you you know you develop relationships and you and you keep them and you you work with the same people and you tend to do different things every year with the usual usual suspects sort of thing. So you kind of work a lot with the same athletes and the same companies and um, but you're always trying to reinvent the wheel. You're always trying to do something new. So every year it's a different bag of tricks and I think that keeps it exciting you know I think now that I've got a little older I do more commercial photography and stuff like that so it keeps the adventure stuff and and being out on the slopes a lot more fun so when you say commercial are you working primarily with brands or yeah I think you know I've started to shoot like a lot more cars and just sort of more mainstream brands exactly and sort of things that I think like the look that I've developed through action sports and just want to apply that look to a more commercial or mainstream type scenario. So I feel like it's super important that no matter what happens, I have to continue participating in action sports to sort of keep that that look going and that that experience going of where my roots come from. Does much of your work get get licensed? Yeah, I mean, I would say all of it gets licensed. I mean, in terms of, you know, secondary uses. I mean, you may produce work for, say, a, a particular client, but um, I'm wondering whether or not, you know, a, a, some of your or a significant part of your income is like secondary licensing through stock or anything like that. Yeah, uh, probably not kind of traditional stock that you would think of. I think that in action sports, there is a huge volume of, of media um, that goes out to a lot of action sports magazines and things like that. And, you know, in, in kind of the mainstream world, when you do a shoot, the, it, it gets shot for that client and that's it. But in the action sports world, um, you know, a huge volume of the stuff that can come out of a shoot that you're hired for for a particular company can go to all these other sources because um, the people you're shooting um, can have many different sponsors and having the media kind of spread around to other sources 
usually pretty much all the time if managed correctly benefits the the person that originally hired you so get using photos to go uh even with other advertisers and, and magazines or wherever you can is, is is pretty normal so it's a lot of the ways i think that i've structured things for years is you're definitely trying to kill sometimes three or four birds at once hmm. uh, with, with what you're shooting at do you do um, much with respect to uh, like personal assignments, things that you've said, I just want to do this on my own without necessarily having a client in mind? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's a huge volume of stuff that you're, you have, you always, I mean, you always have to keep your pencil sharp. So you always need to keep shooting. And I think with adventure and action sports, you're just always going on adventures and always immersing yourself in these sports and experiences that that could be considered personal work but i think that i don't really do that much sort of like isolated personal work that i think most photographers would consider personal because i think that it's so much about being outside and so much about going on adventures so i think you can do a lot of adventures that have no purpose other than just to go on that adventure and, mm-hmm. and experience the adventure and create those images, which a lot of times do spark ideas. You know, people people see something that you've did and they're like, hey, can you recreate that for us? And I think that that's how the whole equation of personal work kind of, kind of works for most photographers. Hey, if you're in the L.A. area next weekend on February 17th, join me for the culmination of Street Week L.A., an event celebrating street photography. On Saturday, there will be a day-long event with presentations from street photographers including Esteban Orial, Michelle Groskoff, Ali Leroy, Rinzi Ruiz, Gus Powell, and myself. You can find out more by visiting lacphoto.org or click on the link in the show notes. Uh, you know, I was just thinking that, you know, a lot of people, you know, they have like a normal nine to five and in order to recharge, they go out and do the kind of stuff that you do on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, you know, they go, oh, I'm going to go skiing. I'm going to go mountain, bi- mountain, mountain biking. What do you do when you need to recharge, when you need to get away from it? Yeah, no, go, going skiing, going biking, you know, uh, without the camera. And that's that's really the best way to, to recharge. You know, that's really just pumping some blood through your brain, and it's pretty it's pretty meditative, especially you know going uh, for a ski or a ride by yourself. I think that a lot of my ideas pop into my head from just kind of being out there, and uh, they can, they can be creative ideas, they can be business ideas, uh, ideas for trips. You know, I think the majority of that stuff pops into my head just by being out there doing it so um it's a great excuse to convince yourself that you need to be out, outside as much as possible <laughs> yeah you, you don't you don't like being in front of the computer huh, to, in an office too long huh? uh it's hard you know it's um but it's but it's enjoyable because it's a part of the process of seeing your work come to life and you know the the communication of distributing that work, uh, I think is all pretty enjoyable. So you just have to manage it, but it's, it's a, it's a sliding scale. You know, when I first started, uh, photography, I would, I would spend probably 90% of my time shooting and 10% of my time managing the, managing the images. And now it's probably 
probably spent about 80% of my time in the office and 20% of the time shooting. So. How has, you know, the, the world of digital, not just the digital cameras, but, you know, social, you know, networking, all of that sort of changed the, the industry and your place in it? I think the kind of the coolest thing that social media has done and, and you know, even just iPhones and Instagram and stuff like that is it's, it's created this platform for, for self-publishing that, so, that I think that has enabled everybody to become photographers and become really interested in photography because just like what I said about that first published photo, I think now everybody in the world has the ability to experience that feeling of having somebody view and get a response from your photos. And I think that that's the connection that makes photography powerful. So, you know, back before the internet existed, you know, it was, it was very difficult to get a photo published and it wasn't something that was, uh, you know, accessible by everybody. But I, but I think now it is, you know, and you know, maybe if someone only gets their photo viewed by 10 people, that, that can be enough to make it worthwhile, mm-hmm. to make that sort of communication or connection and, and, and empower you to want to go out and take more photos. And I think that it's, it's changing our entire world and our entire society to communicating in a, in a visual language, which I think is pretty cool. And I think it raises the bar of what good photography is, because I think more and more people are are taking photos and watching photos and studying photos and learning how to communicate with photos. Um, I think that the average person now can take uh, a photo with their iPhone that's that's not a professional that could probably be just as good as a professional would have taken 20 years ago, you know, maybe even 10 years ago at a lot of uh, instances. So I think that having everybody having ex- all access to all this technology just makes photography better all, all the way around the world. Has this resulted in, in I, even though I know that yours is a, a very sort of a narrow niche, is it nevertheless resulted in more competition? Yeah, I think that I would say that there's probably more people trying to do this in, in relation to how much the industry has grown. But I also think that there is way more photography work than ever because there is way more people consuming photography and video and just media and advertising all the way around the board. So I think that that people are creating more uh, images and creating more more content. And uh, like I said, I think it, it causes people to raise raise the bar just to stand out. So. So how do you differentiate yourself and your work from, you know, from the wealth of images that are being produced and put out there? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I think I think that I am always always focused on um, trying to not only do something different, but what is always sort of an am- amendment of what I've previously done. You know, I I believe that really really good photography is has a lot of pre-visualization to, to concepts that um, maybe haven't been seen or done before. And a huge majority of, of what's out there is just a, a polished copy or a regurgitation of, of something else that already has been done. And I think that when you're kind of the first to do something, even if it's a little rough around the edges, it gets the, 
the most recognition and, um, you know, being, being second or even putting out a more polished version, uh, a lot of times has, you know, only a fraction of it, of the impact. Can you give me an example of one of those times for you? Um, I can't really think of specific instances, but, you know, sometimes I will come up with just sort of themes or ideas that will, uh, I'll be able to carry out through the entire winter. I'll have sort of like an idea or concept and that sort of leads to, to the, to the images being created. And sometimes I'll have ideas in my head that it literally takes like a couple of years for the right opportunity to come by. But because that, that, that image or that concept is in my head, when the opportunity does arise, um, there's a, there's the ability to make it happen. And I, I feel like those are the images that I'm the most proud of, like something that has been lurking in my mind for a while and just waiting for the opportunity to, to make it happen. And because you know, it was there, you, you, you were able to make it happen in the right moment. And, uh, those always seem to be the best ones. Yeah, because so much of your is your imagery is reliant on weather and light and all of those things that are coming together in in sort of a concise way. And is that part of the, the unpredictability and the elusiveness of you being able to get what you want? Yeah, I think a, there's a there's a big marriage with Mother Nature and 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 certain weather systems. And I think that Mother Nature plays like a certain character that reflects. Um, mood and expression um, with how the images look and how the athletes express themselves. Um, so it's, you know, it's not just straight up athletics. It's not, you know, sort of like shooting mainstream sports, sports like football or hockey or something. There's a, a huge amount of uh, experience going on and uh, experience that's sort of defined by mood and moment that that the people that also participate in these sports resonate with and then maybe they feel like, Oh, I, I know exactly what it's like to experience something like that. Or man, I, I, I know what I wish, I really wish that I could experience something like that. I know it, it would be amazing. So we do. You know what you, the, the sports that you're involved in are very physically demanding in and of themselves. But then on top of that, you're going out there with a bunch of photographic gear to document it. So you're adding weight on top of everything else that you're taking with you. Um, what, what do you do in terms of just, you know, your, your physicality and your health in order to make sure that you can, you know, sustain yourself while you're out there? Yeah, you got to keep skiing and uh, you got to keep participating in these sports and, you know, do a little bit of maintenance uh, as well, but be, staying fit is, is very important. Um, because, you know, you're always, you're always with people that are really fit <laughs> and, uh, and are really good. So it's, it's not enjoyable to be struggling and not able to keep up. It's really important just to kind of be out there as, as much as you can, like I said before, and just sort of immerse both your body and your mind and, and what's going on out there and, and that's how you that's how you come up with the ideas of, of what to shoot and how to shoot it yeah. when you, you when you get started you were very, very young you're you know you're 18 when you moved out there and you started shooting in those initial years but as you've gotten older how have you had to sort of adapt as as you've gotten older you're still a young man relative to me but still <laughs> you know age catches up to everyone so 
are there any ways in which you sort of have had to adapt to your changing, you know, your changing body and the way you perform in order to be able to produce the pictures? Yeah, you know, I just kind of pick my battles. Uh, I, there's definitely certain types of trips that I don't think that I really go on anymore. But I think for the most part, um, I still feel pretty strong. I still feel pretty much just as good as I ever did. And uh, just kind of hoping I can kind of keep that going as long as I can. <laughs> so tell me about you know, getting your images out there. We've talked about social networking. You know, you obviously have a website. What role does that play in terms of you keeping your name out there and, and creating awareness of all the work that you're doing? You know, how much time do you dedicate to all that to all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think that for a lot of years, I think that the the most important thing was was magazines. Magazines was kind of the greatest amount of PR, where you know the people that hired to hire you to take photos would be. They would have ads in the magazines, and then the magazines would also publish photos in the galleries within the magazines. And I think that that was, you know, that was pretty much the staple way of of uh, creating creating your PR and, and your sort of establishment within the industry. Um, and that would that would create the demand for people to want to shoot with you and hire you. I think it's changing uh, a lot now with with uh, the internet and, and social media, I think there's so many different ways to to show your photos and show what it is that you're up to and sort of express your own style. And I think it's kind of changing every day. So, you know, magazines are you know, even number wise kind of a, a distant second now. I think mm-hmm. in terms of the the traffic flow, but I think that all of us photographers still have a big part of print in in our hearts you know at at the end of the day if i think everyone would would still like to see their photo in in print on a two-page spread or a cover of a magazine or something like that even if it doesn't have the same volume of eyeballs on it as some a lot of the internet platforms if you were starting again today and um would magazines still be the means by which you would try to get yourself out there or do you or do you feel that there's another approach now that uh, is probably, if not more viable, uh, an important alternative to to editorial. Um, yeah, I mean, I think what's is important now is just creating your own presence. You know, you don't have to sort of rely on magazines publishing your stuff. You can you can self publish it, and you can sort of create your own style and your own brand and and self publish it yourself. And I think that the outside eye can sort of get a good sense of who you are and what you do and what your style is kind of directly now, which I think is, is pretty cool. Um, and I think that, yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. I think it's, it's really awesome that you can have this sort of insight into your world that you can have control over and, you know, that ultimately people can peer in and, and say, uh, you know, I really, I really dig this person's style and what they do and what they're broadcasting, and that's what we want to hire them for. When, when you say self-publish, what are you specifically are you referring to? Um, self-publishing means to me uh, means that you have the control of, of getting it out there. So you know, just posting it on Facebook or Instagram, you know, that's that means that you're you're publishing your own content. You know, um, 
as opposed to a third party like a magazine or whatever that is choosing choosing to to publish your content. So way back in the day, you know, I used to host slideshows and and you know because there is no way for the only way for the people that you shot to see the photos was to look at them on slides. Mm-hmm. So they would, you know, they'd come over and you know we'd huddle around the light table or and then we'd throw them in the projector and and watch them on the on the screen, you know, probably weeks after we actually shot them. So there's no there's no emailing JPEGs or anything like that, you know, to for the for the the skiers and the people that you were shooting in order for them to to see the images, they would have to come over and, and physically see them. So it was uh, you know, and that kind of translate to doing slideshows, you know, like around town or something like that in Whistler. And um, just the the idea of creating slideshows of music and just being in, just being in control of showing people the photos that you want to show them in the way that you want to show them, I think has always been really powerful. And now that you have all of these digital platforms like Instagram and Facebook to to help everybody do it, it's pretty cool. How how important has video and motion capture been to your to, to your work? It's always been pretty important in the fact that. A huge portion of my work is always working with with video uh, crews. Um, I've always been predominantly a stills guy, and then only in the last couple of years have I started like directing video and stuff like that. But you always have to be able to work really well with with video, and a lot of a lot of the work that I kind of get. Um, or I have gotten over the years is sort of through video uh, companies that are that are creating action sports movies or action sports content for certain advertisers and just building those relationships with those people and working really well with those people. Um, that's that's been a, a huge part of the whole machine. In in terms of equipment, have you been trying to work with less? Are you pretty consistent in terms of the meaning you know, of the equipment that you get to take out there in order to get the shots? You know, with increasingly so many people wanting to work with less and lighter, um, is that playing a role, or do you pretty much have to rely on a set amount of gear for you to produce the pictures that you need? Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of years where I just I was very on or off. There was I, I was either. 100% in and taking photos and I would have a huge backpack full of gear and you know big cameras and I was like okay we're making the commitment to take photos from dawn till dusk and then if I wasn't taking photos there'd be no backpack so it was it was all or nothing and I think that worked for me for a lot of years just not really being any middle ground and uh, but I think now I tend to, I tend to kind of ski or ride around with a really small backpack and maybe just take one photo that day, one photo, one kind of idea. Sometimes it's just go up and watch the sunset and take one image. And I've kind of realized that a lot of time that that image reflects a lot of everything that 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 day represented. So you're able to sort of pack a lot of uh, information uh, into just one photo as opposed to kind of taking a lot of photos nonstop. Uh, you can you can kind of dilute yourself that way. Yeah. So 
you know, I think at the end of the day, there's no real right or wrong way, but I've definitely learned the appreciation of taking less photos and bringing less gear. You know, one of the things I can imagine is that you being out there as much as you as as you have been over the over the years, and seeing you know nature at its most ideal in terms of the quality of the light, that it's given you a very sort of unique opportunity to view that that world and and the beauty that that it offers, and I'm wondering how your connection to it, your relationship to all of that, has evolved over the years as a result of that. You know, I think that it becomes addicting to uh, to basically experience these moments and be in the right place at the right time and give yourself the pat on the back that you've forced yourself to get out of bed maybe on the most horrible day ever and then get awarded this amazing moment that, that popped. And like I said, you had to be out there to get it and not, not be at home. Uh, realizing that you missed it. So I think that there's, there's this awarding feeling of, of sort of getting to experience these special moments and to be, to be able to photograph it and photograph with the people that you're with, that you're sharing those experiences with. And then of course, showing it to the rest of the world and them being like, wow, that's an incredible moment. I think that that, that dynamic is, deep down inside, regardless of who you're working for, is always the main dynamic that everyone's looking for, and mm. it never, ever gets old. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own, and it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Yeah, I mean, I think that... Um, you know, if there's a photographer in Vancouver named Sterling Lawrence that I've always had a really good sort of parallel career with. And uh, we kind of started at the same time. And, you know, he's definitely fully embraced mountain biking. And I was more on skiing with just a little sprinkling of biking. But it's interesting to see how the the expression and the approach of how you see things and watch it grow and develop over the years. Uh, I think that's, that's one of the coolest things ever is to, is to see someone else's perspective on something that's in the big picture quite similar, but, you know, just sort of watch it unfold in its own unique way through someone else's eyes. No, Blake, thank you for that. And thank you for, for making time for me today. I really appreciate it. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks to Blake for joining us. Find out more about Blake and his work by visiting BlakeJorgensen.com. And you can show your support of The Candid Frame by writing a review in the iTunes store. As people search for podcasts to listen to, these reviews can lead people to listen to us for the very first time, and it can make all the difference. So if you haven't already, please take the time to do that today. You can also support the show by making a monthly contribution through Patreon. And for as little as $2 a month, you can help us not only to meet the cost of production, but also help us to improve the podcast. Or if you just want to make a one-time contribution to the show, you can do so via PayPal. You'll find links for both on the Candid Frame website or the show notes. Thanks to Matt Groon and Frank Woodward for their recent contributions. You're helping us to make TCF even better in 2018. Thank you. 
To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS and Android. Not only will you immediately receive the latest episode on your phone or tablet, but you can now easily share your favorite episodes on your social networks and help spread the word. Or if you just want to drop me a line with comments or suggestions for the show, you can email me directly from the app. Download it today by clicking on the link in the show notes or the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker, and our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at simply at IbarianX. And this is IbarianX, and this is The Candid Frame.